hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. Actually, not the studio today, just my office. Um, and I am super excited to have Dr. Marion Moss back on our podcast. She was on a few years ago and basically talking about our healthcare system. And as you guys know, I wrote a book on it, um, basically the health insurance system, because it's not really healthcare that's the bad part, although sometimes care doesn't get delivered the best because of the health insurance problem. So um, I wrote a book on it a few years ago, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And um, Dr. Marion Moss has written a few papers on it at least and, and been very vocal about our healthcare system and, and some fixes. So um, we're going to um, talk to her about it today and she's going to start out with some three big bullet points on how to fix it. Then we're going to get into the details. So Dr. Moss, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit. You just had a paper come out. We'll go ahead and we'll talk about this a little bit as we go through our podcast. But um, the three big bullet points from this from this paper. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely. Um, so I'll give you a little history first, and then I'll give you the three bullet points. So in 2019, I got together with a group of uh, physicians and other experts in the healthcare arena, and we wrote the first free-to-care position paper. I mean, I had no idea what was about to happen was going to happen, but um, we we uh, we took the position of stop having healthcare food fights. I mean, people will scream repeal the Affordable Care Act. People will scream Medicare for all, and both of those things are they're bumper stickers, they're slogans, they're not solutions. They're not getting to the, the bottom line, which in that paper, the, the original free-to-care paper, we pointed out, um, it, it's the economy, stupid. You're all paying more, you're all getting less. And we should all care about that. Every citizen in America should care about that because what we have right now is not affordable, the cost keeps going up. And when it's not affordable with the cost that's one fifth of our nation's economy, it's not sustainable and uh, it, it matters for the future. So when we wrote that original paper, we gave, I believe, 34 actionable solutions. And then we put the paper out there and all of these uh, organizations came together. So we, Free to Care, uh, the coalition formed. Um, it's now 34 member groups uh, and that constitutes 8 million citizens. And 70,000 of those citizens, of those 8 million citizens are physicians. So they're all agreeing with these are the things that we can do to try to fix our health care so that we end up in a, in a more affordable, sustainable landscape. And if I, we, we just updated the new paper, it came out in September. If I had to give you those three big points there, open the books so we can see what we're paying and where the money's going. Uh, cut the glut, get rid of all the useless stuff that's costing time and money to the American patient and make everyone play by the same rules. Because most people don't realize that, you know, as as the legislative tinkering has continued, large organizations, large industries in America have special rules that are allowed kickbacks. They're allowed exemptions from transparency or they simply just pay a fee and no one realizes that they're breaking the law. I don't understand how you can trust people who are breaking the law. So, yeah, it is. You know, I will tell you, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, that, I mean, the kickbacks and the stuff that happens in healthcare, 
would be illegal in any other industry. I mean, it's it, it's just crazy, you know, the the collusion that goes on, and it's legal. So number one, basically, open the books. You kind of mean transparency, correct? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. like, my goodness, you can see what you pay for everything, except healthcare. Right. I mean, like, I if you want that new flat screen TV, you go to one store, you go to another. And look, I realize healthcare is a little bit of a different commodity. I understand, you know, it it is something that patients need. But at the same time, when you make it untransparent, when you continue to allow those who are profiting off the system to remain in the shadows, you're never going to get to the bottom of the cost. And if you don't get to the bottom of the cost, like it's useless to throw around those little bumper stickers like re- repeal the ACA or Medicare for all. They're just slogans like it's the economy, stupid. So look where the money's going. When you open up the paper, we, we give an introduction talking about like the status quo and why it's so bad. And then um, we go to a graph and you can pull that graph up on your screen if you want. Maybe your viewers would like to take a look at that. Like if, if you look at this, like when. When we took apart the money that we could see, um, and this is uh, information from the health system tracker, like uh, except for other, hospitals make up 31% of the national healthcare expenditures in 2020, but it's actually more than the 31% because hospitals now own a good portion of physicians and clinics. So shouldn't hospitals be the first place that we look when we're talking about transparency? But hospitals don't have transparent prices. We talk about how prices are so discrepant between different hospitals, how you can be paying like more than 10 times the amount for a colonoscopy in one section of the country than you would another. And the patient, you know, they're often anesthetized against that cost because it's it's covered up in their coverage, right? So like the patient, well, I don't have to bother to worry about that because I'm covered. But it does matter because if you're coverage is paying for it, then your your premiums are going to go up later on down the line if you're paying out more for a procedure than you have to pay. Um, and like, actually, the good news for us is, is that like, you know, I think Americans, by and large, we're kind of tired of the bickering and the fighting. Two presidential administrations agree that we should have transparent costs for hospitals. The Trump administration made their transparency uh, executive order, put it out there, uh, in I forget which year, I think it was 2019. Um, and the Biden administration doubled down on the penalties of that Trump transparency rule. So we, we should be able to see in very simple format, machine readable files, how much hospitals are charging for each, uh, each procedure, each uh, surgery, each incidence of care for the cost of their, uh, their, rooms, you know, if you needed to have a baby, what it would cost at each place. And the Biden administration doubled down the fees on that. And, you know, that's great news, but there's two pieces of bad news. Number one, only 15% of the hospitals are complying. In other words, 85% of the hospitals are flaunting the law and choosing to pay a penalty instead, which goes to show you that like, like the, the number one health expenditure driver in America is breaking the law. I mean, doesn't it concern everyone that they're breaking the law? And the second piece of bad news is when, um, you know, when the Biden administration doubled down very quietly in the small print, they gave an exception for Medicare Advantage plans. 
Now, I don't know, um, you probably know these numbers too, and I may get them wrong, but I believe 90% of patients who qualify for Medicare have either Medigap or Medicare Advantage. I mean, like sort of telling us that they feel the need to get something extra on top of Medicare. You know how everyone says, well, Medicare, it works great. Well, if it's working so great, why do 90% of patients feel the need to buy something on top of Medicare? <laughs> great point. <laughs> yes. Well, but whatever the case, like for these private plans in Medicare Advantage, how can they get an exception? Why are we giving an exception for something as uh as elemental as transparency, you know, like if you feel the need to hide your cost, you're hiding something. And if you're hiding something, it must be because you have something to hide. And so when you don't have transparency, you can see in a, in a setting of coverage where we rely upon coverage as our model, you can see in like the second uh, page after this nice graph, you can see how we have like a rise in expenditure um, especially in hospitals. So if you pull up that next page of the paper, so take a look at this. Look at this top line here. Hospital prices have been growing more rapidly than other goods and services since 2000. There's actually an updated uh, 2021 version of this. Um, I found it on uh, American Enterprise Institute. Uh, like someone in there like has graphed this out. They get it from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, it's outpacing college tuition. I mean, we just graduated one from college and we have two more in. And I can tell you, it's like shocking what's happened to college tuition. You know, my husband and I went to Duke University Medical School. When we started in 1990, our tuition was $14,000 a year. I can tell you that even for the undergrads, it ain't $14,000 a year anymore. It's done this kind of an increase. So if you think about the, the location, we can see where most of the dollars is going from the previous graph hospitals, which is way past, you know, a third. And you see the, the, you know, incredible rise in hospital service cost. Why aren't we all demanding transparency? This is a kitchen table issue. It's not a red issue. It's not a blue issue. It's an American issue. We should all be able to see what it costs. And just demanding to know what hospital prices are doesn't mean that I'm against people getting care. I mean, this is the most elemental thing we could do. So before we even get to talking about let's build a new system, how can we build a new system when we don't know the economics of the system that we have right now? Yeah, asking asking the price of any goods and services is it's it's basic econ. Mm -hmm. It's basic free market principles where a consumer and a vendor of some kind of services um you know, there's that transparency in price and it's a it's a transactional relationship. Why should healthcare be any different? You know, and, and, and when I look at these graphs comparing college tuition to um, health care, both of them are obviously moving up very fast and um, outpacing inflation. And I think one of the things that they have in common is that somebody else, especially the government, is paying the bill. And that's why you can lack transparency, because somebody else is paying the bill. If the consumer was responsible for their own payment, then, you know, there would be transparency because the consumer would either decide to get care or not get care. And by the way, that doesn't mean they wouldn't get care. It just means care would be a lot less expensive. You go. A hundred percent. Well, yes, you said the government is paying the bill. The government isn't paying the bill. The government doesn't right. do a darn thing unless they extract taxes from the public. I mean, 
That's right. We thank are you, paying Thank you for bill. correcting me. No, and I'm that's just going to okay. say, yeah, and I'm just going to say taxes, I mean, they are extracting them with, if we don't pay our Medicare tax, we go to jail. So, I mean, that is coercion. I mean, that is like stealing from somebody, literally. I know that sounds very powerful, but I believe in that. And um, that's one of the reasons they're, way, they're able to get away with these bloated programs. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Well, like, it just seems to me very simple. We are paying the bill. So we as yep. taxpayers, and if, if you're not paying taxes because you're not in a fortunate tax bracket, it still affects you because we're paying more than we should and we don't have enough to pay for everything that we need. I always use the word need. I don't like to use the word want. I don't like the words right and privilege in healthcare because I don't view healthcare as a privilege at all. And I, I don't like calling it a right. What I like calling it and terming it is a need. But once again, like right privilege, it's a healthcare food fight. You know, like people will have various needs throughout their lifetime and they need those, they need them fulfilled. But if we don't have a sustainable system, we're not going to be able to fulfill that. And we should all care because it's it's collectively all of our money. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't find finances interesting. Frankly, I don't either. I don't like them. I mean, like I just I just know that I like if I make money, I try to save it and I don't right, I, yeah. I'm, I'm like the kind of classic like why pay more in all settings. Like I I shop at thrift stores. I still do, you know. I mean, like I guess I could afford to not shop at thrift stores, but I say why pay more? And I look at this the same way. Why pay more? And I I don't even I can't even see where some of the money is going. So I think the other thing that like hospitals and, and colleges um, hold in common, I, I call it administrative bloat, you know? Yeah. Like, Tell us about that. Get rid of what? What are we going to get rid of? Well, yeah, I said cut the glut. Like if um, there's a graph running around out there that has a graph, um, it, it graphs uh, the increase in administrators in healthcare. And it's just an enormous rise. I think it's like a almost 2,500% increase in healthcare administrators, at the same time, like a very small increase in physicians. And by the way, I'll, I'll talk to you how we're having a Drexit, a doctor exit, and what, what we saw in 2021. But, you know, like, so the people that can take out your appendix, uh, diagnose your pneumonia, deliver your baby, resuscitate your baby, like their numbers are not increasing, but the people that are pushing all the paper around to fulfill all of the, um, the bureaucratic wants and needs and mandates, those people have exploded. And, you know, I call that, that's why I said in that little phrase, like open the books, you know, show us where the money is going, cut the glut, cut the glut of these regulations. I mean, do we need another paper pusher in, in healthcare or do we like, can you actually call up a physician when you need when you need medical care and get in touch with one, or are you having trouble accessing a physician? I mean, I can tell you my little phone here and you know, my, my uh, odd video keeps on cutting out, but my nice little pink phone here goes off probably about, I don't know, seven or eight times a week among my personal friends. And I'm happy to help them, but they're like, well, we can't get into care and we need this and yeah. we need that. And what should we do? I mean, I'm running out of options to help because in the midst of the increasing costs and us all paying more, we're having a great Drexit, Dr. Exit. Yeah. So in 2021, 117,000 physicians left the practice of medicine. 
I mean, there's less than a million physicians in America anyway. I mean, what are you going to do when more keep leaving? Yeah. You know, it. Well, I, I look at it like, you know, the thing is, is that when we talk, some people think that we might be a little bit crazy when we're thinking we can fix the system. But just realize this, you know, you're talking about all the administration. So I, I worked in a hospital almost 30 years ago as a pharmacist. And that wasn't that long ago. And back then, there was basically two, there was basically a CEO and a CFO. I don't even know if they had a, if they call it a, C, a, a CNO yet. I don't even know if they had a chief nursing officer. They had maybe a nursing supervisor. Um, and now at that same hospital, there, there's no more physicians. As far as practicing physicians, there's employed physicians now, but um, there is a lot more administrators. And, you know, back in the day, there used to be a, a doctor, a nurse, and maybe a nursing assistant slash receptionist. And they took care of, they took care of all the clinical needs and that's all they needed. And so a lot of this administrative gloat you're talking about is um, unnecessary. And the problem is, is their paychecks are dependent on it. So there's a lot of people that lobby against changing the system because they want to get a paycheck. And now those administrators, I remember back in the day, not too long ago, 30 years ago, where, you know, doctors were the highest paid people in the healthcare system. That is far from the truth now. The, the administrators in hospitals are making way more than most doctors. You go. <laughs> I love how you do that. You go. Uh, sure. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm, I never advocate to say increase physician salaries, although I do think um, what we do need to pay attention to is we need to pay attention to the younger physicians because the younger physicians, like, so you go back to that second graph where the college tuition increased, the medical school tuition increased too, you know, so it, I'm lucky to be able to advocate and I don't, I don't take speaking fees. I don't take writing fees when I advocate. I, I'm happy to do it, but I'm able to do that because I didn't have these, you know, high tuition costs. You know, I graduated before that graph even started from medical school. <laughs> I'm very fortunate and lucky, but our new younger physicians, I think we have to kind of come out with something for them to to be able to uh, balance out what they put in, you know, like when you're the patient and you go into the hospital and let's just say it's two in the morning and you're a, a 45 year old person and you have a hot red appendix, you know, you're going in there and like you have a healthcare need, right? So what do you need? You need someone, the ER doc to diagnose your appendicitis. Most of the time it does happen with a CAT scan. If it's obvious clinically, you know, maybe they won't even do the CAT scan, but like, unfortunately we live in a medical legal world. So no one wants to slice you open unless they know that they need to. So you probably need the CAT scan. Then you're going to need the surgeon and you're going to need the anesthesiologist. And we haven't even talked about like where the paper is, is getting pushed around, but all of those people, like you don't want someone slicing you open that doesn't have a lot of training. You don't want someone passing your gas, as we say in anesthesia. You know, you don't want someone that doesn't have a lot of training. You know, the training is you worked really hard through four years of college to get into a, a good medical school. You worked your tail off through four years of medical school. And then you like if you're the general surgeon, it was five years of residency. And I, I can't remember if it's three or four for anesthesia, but you know, all of that time, you know, the medical school, the college undergrad, that all cost money. So our younger physicians that are coming out have these extraordinary loans 
and they're coming out and then they're discovering that, you know, they're facing another 4.5% Medicare cut. We're getting cut. Our profession is getting cut in a setting of us making 7.3 cents on the healthcare dollar. That's all we make. 7.3 cents on the healthcare dollar. I'm not saying expand the 7.3 cents, but if we took a look at the rest of the pie, you know, the, the other besides the 7.3 cents, where's all that money going? Because if it wasn't for that anesthesiologist, that ER doctor, that surgeon, the people that stayed there in the middle of the night, those nurses that were there, the CT tech, um, you know, the radiologist who read the CAT scan, you'd be in a big pile of trouble and your appendix would burst, you'd get sicker and you'd still need the hospital and you'd still need the surgeon, et cetera, et cetera. Now you need more meds, you'd have a longer stay and you'd be in trouble. But when you come out of there, you don't know where the money went. And if I just got over telling you that the physicians are making 7.3 cents on that healthcare dollar, where's the rest of it going? Yeah. Well, you know, I say this quite often and some people don't like what I say about it, but I, I, I truly think that hospitals have created a cartel with insurance companies um, and they're, they're in collusion with insurance companies to create a cartel to rip off the consumer. I really honestly believe that. And we already talked about that. I mean, if, if that's not the case, then how come they're not transparent on pricing? You know, I mean, seriously, it's just a question we should ask. And I, and I just, I think hospitals are really guilty of this. I think we have to really, really, you know, nail it, nail them down. I mean, to make some changes and, tr and transparency is the first step. Absolutely. It's also very interesting. And there's been a lot written about this in the last couple of years. We brought it up in the first paper and we bring it up in this paper as well. You know, these so-called uh, nonprofit hospitals are, <laughs> if you look at their administrators, <laughs> someone's profiting in there. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to blow the whistle and, and call like a, a little bit of a, there's some badness going on there. And not only are these hospitals profiting, but you know, the whole idea behind them is they're nonprofit. They're not getting taxed. And then they're going back when the patients that are indigent can't pay, they're suing those patients and they're collecting. And there's actually now been some, you know, interesting um, uh, investigative journalism work going on that's showing that these these very same hospitals, um, I, I read about this in North Carolina, these very same hospitals, these big hospital systems, they're kind of nudging their patients and sending them to these collection agencies, making it sound like, oh, this is great, this is no problem, this agency will take care of it, but these agencies are owned by either big banks or private equity funds, and then they in turn are pumping up what the patient owes. And so, like, the banks and the private equity are making money off of the fact that these patients have, you know, can't afford the outrageous costs that they're paying. I mean, why not make what the patients would have to pay transparent to begin with and like drive down the costs? Right. And, and, and it, as if it wasn't crooked enough already and hospitals didn't have enough of an income stream from many different um, sources, um, I was shared, somebody shared with me that there's some hospitals they own their own collection agencies, another income stream for them. I mean, that just shows you that they're not really in the business of their, I mean, if, if, if that is true, which I, I believe that is, they're not really, their primary business is not healthcare anymore. I mean, seriously, how can you not argue that? 
No, they're they're in the business of business. It was interesting. Um, our free to care conference this year in Austin, uh, Dale Falwell, who's the North Carolina state treasurer, uh, it's an elected position. Um, he was revealing to us. It was like it was it was like I thought the best moment in the whole conference. It was just like shocking um, because he, as the state treasurer, is in charge of all of the employees of the state of North Carolina and their health care he needed to know how much he was paying for them. And when he went to look at how much he was paying for hospitalizations, which, you know, the number was like big, you know, given the pandemic, because there were a lot of patients hospitalized during the pandemic. Um, he went to UNC healthcare center and said, Hey, you know, there's a law, you have to comply with transparency and I want a machine readable file and I'd like it uh, as a file, but I'd also like the paper version of it. So for you to send me um, what your charges are for, all of these instances. And like, so he sent his request and they sent back a file and they actually even sent, I think it was like 300 and some pages worth of, uh, you know, a 300 page sheaf. And it was all like redacted. So they wasted 300 pages of paper, but the ink that they printed it on, like I'm kind of like a conservationist. I hate waste, right? You know, like why would you bother to print out like blank crap? And use the ink for that and the electricity that it costs to, and like, like he said, this is like a giant FU to transparency. It was UNC yeah. hospital, University of North Carolina. Right. You know, everyone has these nice, like, oh, the sky is North Carolina blue, but it's like, well, dang, your, your transparency is up there in the clouds too. You know, and, and like, so you're telling the elected state treasurer, you're flouting the law that two administrations laid down to say that you have to provide this machine readable file and the state of North Carolina, I believe is the biggest, um, the, the biggest buyer of healthcare in North Carolina, people in North Carolina ought to be furious, you know, but then unfortunately, like people have needs when they're sick. So they go to the hospital and they need the hospital to stay in business. And I, I'm not saying hospitals should all go out of business, but I can't imagine being so obfuscative, did I use that word correctly, that you're going to like hide what you're doing. I mean, you can't make a good enough living in hospital setting with right. costs like that, that we just saw on that, on that graph. You can't make a good enough living that you have to hide your prices and like thumb your nose at, at your entire state. Because you're not just thumbing your nose at Dale Falwell, you're thumbing your nose at the entire state. You're saying, we don't care. We're going to keep on collecting money and we're not going to show you how much we're collecting. We're not going to show you how much what what your needs are costing. Disgusting. It is. It is. So number three bullet point. Uh, so we said... Uh, Open the books, cut the glut, make everyone play by the same rules. Okay, so we're going to get to one of my favorite topics. I tried to stay quiet on this for forever, but we all know there's these like middlemen in healthcare, right? Like, so if you look at your pharmaceutical costs, which are a much smaller portion than the hospital costs, but um, if you look at your outpatient pharmaceutical costs, big pharma, they're making money, no doubt, but there's middlemen that are making more money. So let's just take like the example of insulin. And we, we all know that insulin has had a big cost, a steep cost rise over the past several decades. Um, actually, the pharmaceutical companies are making less than they had been, but the middlemen, the pharmacy benefit managers are making more. So if you look at the cost of insulin, um, they're chewing up 80% of the cost of insulin and no one is doing anything about them. 
Um, one of the things that I think is actually really nice is that uh, since our 2019 paper, um, and since like a group of us have been writing about pharmacy benefit managers, and there's amazing people, way more amazing than me. I think of Anthony Chacha, um, you know, David Balot does a lot of writing on this, um, Madeline Feldman. Um, I'm, I'm going to miss people I know that have done some fantastic writing on pharmacy benefit managers. My, my apologies. Uh, people are now aware. So when we talk about just our outpatient prescription costs, People that don't do any research, don't do any manufacturing, who simply push the paper around are, you know, taking more of the money than the people that are actually making the, the pharmaceutical products. I mean, we all point our finger and blame um, Big Pharma. And look, in our paper, we come down with um, some smacks on Big Pharma and the way that they keep their products evergreen, we say. They, like they uh, they keep the patents running and they have all and kinds of clever little tricks. And that's not good either. And, you know, Big Pharma needs to take their comeuppings. But if you're going to attack drug pricing, if you don't attack PBMs, you're not a fighter on drug pricing. You're a faux fighter. I'm going to call you a faux fighter on, on drug pricing. So all the stuff that we've seen come out in recent months, I mean, you know, I'm not being a partisan to say this. The Inflation Reduction Act, it gave the PBMs a free pass. It, it great that you're attacking pharma, but if you're giving the PBMs a free pass, you're a faux fighter on healthcare. The Affordable Insulin Now Act, the newspaper that I'm on the editorial board of, the Bucks County Courier Times, our whole editorial board wrote a piece about the Affordable Insulin Now Act and how it's it's not living up to its name. It's not making insulin any more affordable. Uh, Lloyd Doggett, he's a Democrat, Democratic uh, congressman from Texas. You know, he said that. I used his quote right at the beginning. This bill does not do anything to make insulin one penny more affordable. It just keeps the costs hidden. So these pharmaceutical benefit managers, people are starting to pay attention to them. And that's awesome. Um, and one of the things that like I've been like talking about since 2018 with regards to the PBMs is they are legally allowed to receive kickbacks. Unreal. Uh, I mean, it would be un illegal. It would be illegal in any other industry. Yes, yes. But the 1987 Congress and President Reagan signed it into law. They gave them the legal right to receive kickbacks. And, you know, people can jump forward and say, wow, that was Reagan's fault. That was the Congress's fault. And it was this lawmaker and that lawmaker. I honestly think Washington, D.C., they just listened to all the wrong players down there. People are down, the lobbyists are whispering what I call convenient untruths in the ear of Congress. Hey, Congress, do this. It'll make healthcare more affordable. How's that all working out for us? It's not. Stop listening to these clowns. Stop listening to the people that are making all the money. So um, like in a you know, one of the things that I believe we point out in this paper, and I've certainly pointed out in my writing, to give you an idea how much money the, these PBMs make, the PBMs have now merged with the insurance companies. You know, so um, Blue Cross Blue Shield already owned their own in-house PBM called Prime, but CVS Health bought Aetna, so they bought an insurance company. They had like sixty-two billion sitting around, so they decided to buy a PBM, right? Their PBM is 60% of the revenue. Express Scripts got bought by the big insurer Cigna. When Cigna purchased Express Scripts, its revenues tripled. So everyone wants to like put the like the pin on the insurance companies, and they're right. They're controlling the situation, but their PBMs are their cash cows. That's where they're making their money. So pay and, yeah. And PBMs are literally coming from a pharmacist, they are literally useless. 
I mean, they, they are doing nothing to help anybody's care besides taking money out of the system. That's all they're doing. Well, look, when you, I understand that you have to have some administration that goes on for, for like the, you know, the, the prescription once it's written and like someone needs to move it around and make sure that the patient is getting the drug. And I get that, but there are transparent pass-through PBMs that are not, you know, part of the kickback scheme. And I think like, just like any, um, like with all of our sectors of healthcare, with physicians, you know, you, you want a transparent, good quality physician. You should want a transparent, good quality PBM. And like these companies are popping up and thriving and able to make a reasonable salary, but doing so in a transparent manner. But the big PBMs are the the place that I'm going to, I'm going to lay like the blame on there. And then and I think you mentioned, you mentioned CVS, right? Yes. They own their own. So just listeners, viewers, think about this. When you go into CVS pharmacies and you complain about the price, CVS, the PBM, the insurance company, Big Pharma, all four of those people are colluding to rip off the consumer. And let me just tell you this. If you go into any pharmacy and you just circumvent that process, especially with generic medications, and just say, I want to pay cash, you will save a lot of money. So I know you said there's good PBMs out there, Marion. Um, but in reality, when the consumer deals directly with the pharmacy, you circumvent all that problem and you'll get a lot, lot better service at a better quality at a, at a lower price, especially with most generic drugs that are very, very affordable. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, perfectly true. But um, I do think most Americans are paying attention to PBMs. And yes. I shouldn't say most, many, many more are many. aware. So, you know, and there's some bipartisan movement on this, you know, uh, both uh, Ron Wyden, a Democratic senator from, I think, Oregon, and uh, Chuck Grassley, a Republican senator from Iowa, seem to be very on top of the PBM issue. So I, I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I saw some hearings in the House in which, uh, over this past several years in which PBMs were taking a little bit of a beating. It was a big disappointment to see the Inflation Reduction Act because it gave a pass to the PBMs. And it was a big disappointment to see the Affordable Insulin Now Act because it gave a pass to the PBMs. And I think, you know, for the people that signed on to that, that want to claim that they're fighting drug pricing, they're not. But the other middlemen that most people are not aware of, and I'll call your attention to, um, there's a group called the... uh, Oh gosh, I don't want to get this wrong. The American Economic Liberties Project, and they just recently put out a letter to the FTC um, and our group, Free to Care, plus the the physician group that I founded, Practicing Physician of America, um, signed on to this. Uh, advocates urged the FTC to investigate GPOs' impact on drug medical equipment shortages and rising healthcare costs. So GPOs are hospital middlemen. And GPOs, there's three of them that control 90% of hospital and nursing home supply lines. And so now if you think about, like we talked about how hospitals are sucking up a big part of the costs and how hospital costs have increased, in some cases, 40% of a hospital's overhead is its supplies. So GPOs have that same sweet deal as PBMs do. They have the right to legalize kickbacks. And so now (laughs) we have two gigantic middlemen that when they got the right to receive kickbacks weren't so big, but they became bigger and and more consolidated and wealthier over time. And it's interesting. I I think they stopped doing it to me, but when I was sort of um, putting out there in the press that uh, we shouldn't 
allow them to have kickbacks. I mean, I was just asking them play by the same rules everyone else plays by, right? Like if I took a kickback, I'd, I'd get nailed for it appropriately. So, and I, you know, might go to jail and I would pay a fine, but these companies are uh, some of our wealthiest companies in American healthcare are allowed to receive kickbacks. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll put in there, I have like a great screenshot. It was uh, made by a, uh, a urologist in Florida named Jared Whalen. And he and I talk on and off, but it was like pointing out um, the biggest revenue generators in healthcare. Uh, if you look at the list, the top uh, 11 on there, they all either own, uh, are associated with, or are owned by either a PBM or a GPO. So like the companies that are making the most money in, in healthcare are companies that can legally receive kickbacks. It's like, duh, like, why don't yeah, we just right. say no right. more kickbacks for you? Right. We shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I know. But like, it's like, what's it going to take Congress? Like, like you, they can't take kickbacks. Doctors can't take kickbacks. You know, uh, nurses can't take kickbacks, nor should they be able to. You know, the, the pharmaceutical companies can't, the manufacturers can't. So why are we letting these middlemen? collect kickbacks. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. And then in the last uh, chapter of our, our paper, we, we sort of talk about um, the need for a different kind of transparency, like the transparency of conflicts of interest. It's interesting, this very same American Economic Liberties Project, there's a, the, um, a guy that writes for them with a powerful voice, Matt Stoller, wrote an article about these GPOs and pointed out that one of the physicians that's uh, uh, very commonly on CNN is on the board and speaks often for these, one of the big purchasing organizations. It's like, what's that about? Is he getting speakers fees to do that? You know, because yeah. if you're showing up on CNN and you're giving your opinion all the time, I mean, might your opinion be swayed if you happen to be getting a secret sweet little like uh, extra cash under the table for, you know, speaking for these GPOs, it's it's a real concern. It's a real issue. So, you know, right now in America, we do have like a, a sunshine for conflicts of interest that exists between uh, physicians and pharmaceutical companies and device companies. I mean, you can look me up and you can see how much I'm taking from pharma and device companies. But like, how much are, are GPOs and PBMs giving to the press? How much are they giving to uh, hospitals? How much are they giving to Physicians, how much are they giving to physician or patient advocacy groups? All of that should be transparent, but it's not, you know, sunshine for all. I'm a sunshiny kind of girl. Let's like take those conflicts of interest and put them out there. Everyone should show their cards on the table. I'll show mine if you show yours. Yeah, I mean, it really is that simple. Why not? I mean, and if and if you're not willing to be transparent, it's like, like you said earlier, early on in the podcast, what are you hiding? Yes. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Transparency for conflicts of interest. Make everyone yeah. play by the same rules. They made that Physician Sunshine database so that physicians, you know, and, and I think it's great that we have the Sunshine database because if you're concerned that your doctor is like pushing drug X, you can go take a look. Uh-oh, this doctor, they take a lot of money from this drug company and maybe I don't trust this drug and now I'm going to look into it a little more carefully. But there's no sunshine for, you know, those other entities that I mentioned. We need sunshine for all. So, you know, big picture kinds of things. America, healthcare is expensive. It's the economy. I'm not going to say stupid because I don't think you're stupid. I think you're misinformed. But it's the economy. And you need to make sure that you have healthcare for the future because it's a need. And you, we need to make sure that it's sustainable. And the first thing to start with is cost. So open the books. 
and cut the glut of all these regulations and cut the glut of, of administrators that are sucking away your money. You're paying more and you're getting less. And lastly, make sure that everyone's playing by the same rules. If there's large, wealthy corporations that have rules that are special for them, you should be questioning why. You know, we should be like taking the pitchforks down to Washington, D.C. and demanding that we open the books, cut the glut, make everyone play by the same rules. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And that's that's why it's so important for us to educate consumers about this, because all of us eventually, even if we're not a consumer of healthcare, we're eventually probably going to be. Um, and it's important that we educate healthcare pro- professionals about it, you know, in, in every industry, whether it be doctors, whether it be nurses, whether it be physicians, um, whether it be pharmacists, um, you know, because it's going to affect all of us and it's affecting our country. I mean, you, you, you shared the graph. We shared the graph from your report. It's not sustainable. The inflation rate of healthcare is not sustainable. We can't afford to keep doing what we're doing. No, we really can't. Um, la- actually, last thing, and I, I should have brought this up when we were talking about transparency. Um, I'm a big proponent of direct pay models. I mean, you brought it up for pharmacy, but it exists for physicians. It even exists for hospitals too. Um, you know, so uh, there are there are uh, direct primary care physicians and direct specialty care physicians that uh, take membership models and and for the cost of like your monthly cable bill, you can actually have good access to a physician who is the abject model of transparency. You know, it was very interesting watching in the pandemic, like, you know, everyone was like saying, oh my gosh, now we're getting telehealth and it's a great thing. These direct care physicians were supplying telehealth for years, you know, know. they were supplying transparent pricing for years in states where you can, and I know you're a pharmacist and I understand that there's like some um, you know, maybe all pharmacists don't like this, but in states where uh, physicians can dispense pharmaceuticals, some of these doctors are dispensing pharmaceuticals and saving their patients a lot of money. And, you know, people step up and they say, but it doesn't work for patients with chronic care. It's the patients with chronic care that need to be seen more frequently that are thrilled that when they have a sick day, they're getting same day sick visits. That, that really doesn't happen for many patients at all in America. And, and as far as physicians dispensing, I'm a I'm a free market kind of guy, so I'm okay with that competition. And I talk to doctors openly about it. And here's what I say: if pharmacists did their job in the first place and was transparent with pricing and charged, you know, real pricing instead of insurance type pricing, physicians wouldn't have to dispense from their office. You know, so that's my whole argument: is that if pharmacists weren't overcharging people. It, already um it wouldn't be a problem now there's a lot of pharmacies now they're going with a direct pain model too they're getting completely out of insurance and those pharmacies they're you know their their prices are very appropriate and they're a lot more competitive than than uh, a pharmacy that builds insurance because they're they're more transparent so um you know i i i believe that if pharmacists did their jobs in the first place physicians wouldn't maybe have to dispense because if you talk to those doctors that are dispensing out of their office it's very labor intensive. I mean, I know it as a pharmacist. You got to deal with inventory. You got to deal with outdates. You've got to deal with, you know, labeling, all that kind of stuff. I mean, so if I had a direct primary care doctor right next door to me, I would just say, what do you want me to stock? And I'll take care of all your patients for you. You know, um, so anyway, that's kind of a side note. But, you know, that's why I believe in a free market and direct pay in general, because those things will all work themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
So, Dr. Moss, as we wrap this show up, it's obvious what you have a passion for. You're very passionate about this subject. Thank you so much for you know, realizing our goal, which is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. And financial part of that is very important. So consumers need to know what they are paying for health care. So I have your LinkedIn um, streaming here. What is a, another way that somebody can get a hold of you? Uh, that's probably the easiest. I'll, I, I do take messages there. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. I think it's at mass underline Marion. Um, I, I don't have like the following of the stars that some people have, but you know, I mean, I don't know. I think I get a, a good many people that pay attention over there and you can find on both of these places, some of the same um, characters that are fighting for the same thing that I'm fighting for. I mean, we want a better future, you know, and uh, it needs to be affordable. It needs to be sustainable. So absolutely. You know, I just realized when I looked at your Twitter page and now I have to apologize. I was in Philadelphia. My wife and I were in Philadelphia a few weeks ago and we should have looked you up. I apologize. Uh, I'm in the burbs, man. So and like we, we actually after uh, we just got our, our third. He, he's just started college. So we're empty nesters now. So we've been doing a little bit of personal traveling, catching up. Uh, celebrating awesome. our 25th anniversary, 25th wedding anniversary. A couple years late, but that's okay. It's all <laughs> yeah, awesome. We're in the same boat. Being an empty nester is is it's life changing. It's cool. Um, yeah, so enjoy it. Yeah. So. Well, they're happy. So you know what? When they're when they're out of the nest, I mean, I'm not going to be the mom who boohoo's when when the the, the little my little ducklings. They're they're all happy little ducklings, <laughs> busy little ducklings. So it's it's a good thing. So awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for educating us today. And thank you listeners and viewers for turning in, tuning in to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And I wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy time with your family. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.